This is the one with Union Jack camouflage. A fancy word for changing your mind. Five rounds, rapid. A berserker with a bazooka. Basil and Petronella. Red versus blue. Dr. Puntastic. And there's a Zygon in the supermarket. It's called the Zygon Inversion. Here, Here we, we go. go. <laughs> We're still on our epic phrase. All through time and all through space. We're slipping and angels now. Dalek, Cyber, Zood and wow! Counting Sonic's rating out. From the poor to the sublime. Eccleston to Whittaker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join, Join us on this side to see what other choice could there be. But who back when? Who back when? What ho, dearest podcast land, and welcome to, oh my goodness, another fantastic episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Oh, Doctor Who podcast. Ah, mundo, chaps. Wow, yes, chaps, you heard it, plural. I am joined today across the ether by two chaps in two countries. In the top right corner of my screen, I have Jim. Hello, Jim. Well, hello there, Leon. Hello there, podcast land. And on my screen, awkwardly positioned at roughly what would be Jim's groin height, <laughs> Drew. Hello, Drew. Once, twice, three times a chap. <laughs> Hi, everybody. <laughs> and I am Leon. Hi, you don't have to pretend my penis is a microphone, okay? <laughs> And I'm Leon, and today we are discussing the Zygon Inversion. Yeah, aren't we just? (laughs) (laughs) End of a two-parter. How does it hold up? Is it as good, better, less bodacious than part one? What do you say? We haven't even heard Jim's opinion on part one. Jim is entirely new to this two-parter. Oh, holy moly, that's so true. Jim, spotlight on you. Okay, I feel like I might be the balance in the uh, the three piece sweep that was Who Back When's last take on uh, the Zygon invasion. Oh really? And but yeah, I was not particularly enamoured with the first part of this double parter, and I freaking loved the second part of this double parter. Oh, really? Yeah, I think you rated it yeah. as the Zygon implosion last time. It was like one point <laughs> nine or something. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Any particular before, reason? Before any discussions with you, yeah. Any particular any reason, reason why you disliked it? It was just a bit naff. It was just full of holes and I wasn't being watching the wrong show. The ride. What? No. <laughs> a bit naff, full of holes. I mean, you got to be more specific than that. It was just trying big ideas, big locations, big production, but didn't have substance to back it up in my mind. Whereas this is brought, this, yeah, we're still top, top level, but it, you know, it's brought it all into a more compressed space and then upped the ante and the yeah and it felt more solid and clean and crisp okay yeah it's about quality not air miles (laughs) exactly What about you, Drew? I'm not sure whether I like it more than part one yet. I mentioned last time that I remembered this as a standout episode in series nine. I don't think I can quite commit to that anymore. So, yeah, I don't know. This is is, is there and thereabouts. Okay. All right. Well, I look forward to being potentially both of you talk me down in that case, because I am sure that I enjoyed this more than part one. Yeah. Yeah. How do you like them (laughs) apples? This is going to be badass how about before we rip this episode and my illusions to shreds how about we summarize it neatly in a little bite-sized chunk of who marvelous 
Time for us to synopsize, lerbify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview. This free for all. We like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who? Clara Oswald is being old boyed inside her own mind when she realizes that she's not quite out for the count and instead perfectly capable of subconsciously strategizing against her doppelganger. She even managed her own mini retro rewrite of last week's ending. Doc, meanwhile, may have bailed out of his poncing purposes airplane, but it's not <laughs> about to bail on either party in this struggle. Capanima of the Fortnite Osgood, maybe, is at his side as he heads back to civilization to see how much life Clara's left in her. The Zygon Splinter Group led by Bonnie, the aforementioned double, will stop at nothing to expose the truth or consequences, even going so far as to flip a coin and risk committing mass suicide. Only a legendarily badass soliloquy can save the day. Bisco Bisco over. 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 You are welcome. welcome. You are Mr. Bell, come on. (laughs) (laughs) Aren't you just? Right, Aruni, and cheese nozzles. I think we need to start with the mini retro rewrite. Oh, yeah. Excellent point. It it both finished the last episode and began this episode differently. All right. Yeah. Um, What's your beef with that? (laughs) I think you just said it. (laughs) (laughs) They don't tally. They don't match up. Yeah, you're right. You can you can sweep it aside fairly easily, but it's a bit of a weird one. Wait, do we actually get to see the plane? What do we get to see the plane blow up in part one? No, no. What happens is Bonnie seems to let rip a missile perfectly adequately, and the screen cuts to black a second before we hear an explosion of sorts. Hmm. I'm not trying to defend it per se, but maybe they just fast forwarded a little bit in that scene. We didn't get to see the internal struggle of Bonnie Bonnie and Clara (laughs) (laughs) we didn't get to see you know the full duration of her aiming the bazooka and whatever and then once again we fast forwarded to the end of the second shot yeah and you can further excuse that if Clara waking up in a dream state is in a sort of inception style dream world so that's true she would experience a lot more time subjectively relative to Bonnie she would be able to as she does go to all the exits of her flat find they're all barred in some way go up and down that central corridor and be able to manhandle the TV before Bonnie has said the second half of the line that we thought was pretty much continuous last week, but I don't know. So if that is the case, how long a time does Clara spend in the old boy room, and would she not have gone entirely loopy? Uh, She spent her whole life in a Dalek. What I was going to say was I unthought this by way of later in the episode, Clara and Bonnie hold a perfectly synchronous conversation with no time lapse or dilation of any kind. Oh yeah, that's true. And also, wouldn't all of her communications attempts to the Doctor be entirely garbled or out of sync with reality? Yeah, or just a crazy sped-up chipmunk voice, and he has to put it through a filter, slow yeah. it down by five times. I, I took it more that she's, I mean, she's just stuck there in a, a mental capacity, and you can think things, like we're, we're watching a visual representation of her dream state of her thinking state and you think things in random orders sometimes and you you miss out important middle bits like she might imagine trying to escape and she's run around her apartment in her head sort of thing she's tried to escape she can't find a way out but that was like a split second whereas the actual interactions where she's like consciously communicating are more real time 
that kind of logic. But so what, what does she fill the rest of her time with then? And is the rest of her time also spent in real time? The rest of her time is spent looking at pictures of seahorses, in-depth reports on the local seahorse population. It appears on the front of the newspaper. Oh, okay. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> Some stock image. Totally missed that. <laughs> oh, I had no idea what was going on there. I did wonder, I, I didn't have enough time because I only watched this episode this evening, whether you could pause that newspaper and read some of the article and the headlines a bit and whether it was uh, the all kind of Easter egg stuff. I don't think so. I think it was just random keyboard mashing. It could have been Welsh, actually. It, it could have been uh, something very important in Welsh. Oh, was it not? Oh, I thought it was backwards stuff. I didn't see it close enough to work out. I don't out think it really it's was. Congress. So occasionally it's backwards stuff. Occasionally it's just garbled writing. I didn't notice the Welsh. It would have come up in the trivia. Occasionally it's True. sort of like they live. You know, the John Carpenter, they live. Like the toothpaste says this is toothpaste. Oh, I like that. Is So that's a reference back to something else? No, I don't think it's a deliberate reference to it, but it, it seems to abide by the same rules in a way. I, I mean, that's certainly not backwards writing, and it's also not garbled writing. There's like a deliberate statement there of, you should think that this is toothpaste, even though it's just like a tube full of actual feces. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was more seaweed. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, it's what the seahorse has been eating. Or squid ink. Wait, are they meant to be seahorses? Oh, I don't know. I always thought they were squids. They've got suckers. Oh, so sexy. I think it's quite interesting to see life in the pod, though. Oh, definitely. I, I wish it had been slightly more interesting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I agree. I, I wish we had seen more of it. Like, see more of her maybe trying to break out of it, or yeah, is everyone just, just in their own old boy room? Is every room decorated in the same way? Yeah, and, well, I mean, when you start asking what is everyone else experiencing and what's happening to them, the whole question of how special is Clara, in what does her specialness manifest, that, that starts to tear away everything because surely it's not beyond anyone else waking up inside a pod not even waking up but just becoming onerically aware that um you would go to the door you would go to the window and then you'd try and turn on the telly i mean how come everyone isn't doing that how come all the zygons aren't being interfered with mentally does a different set of rules apply to clara because she's traveled through time is it one of those things again a hundred percent or is it just that she's so incredibly clever she is way cleverer and more manipulative than everyone else that she is the only one who could possibly interfere with the outside world by the way, this does not answer the question of why are there Zygon pods to begin with? We are as much in the dark now as we were last week. Hey, what do you mean, why Why are there Zygon pods? Well, we don't need the pods. I, well, so this is, this is a point that Marie made, which I agree with. I don't think, actually, at the end of this double parter, they have rewritten what Zygons were. In the first part of this, it seemed like they had, because there's 20 million Zygons on Earth, and they're not, there aren't 20 million pods of people, um, you know, creating an exact link all the time. I think what they've done is they've established this idea that you can duplicate a human, but if you want to continually feed stuff from their brain, that human needs to be kept in a pod. Otherwise, you can just take their features. So there are 20 million duplicates, there are 20 million doppelgangers around the world and they've kept a few in pods because they want the information. Yeah, I think that sticks to the rules of part one, but I still maintain that that is a rewrite of Zygon pods in the Hooniverse. How clear were they, though, that they're keeping them there because they have to, to keep the link? I can't remember. I, I feel like it was a there was enough, maybe, wiggle room that they've said, okay, it's only because we want fresh 
fresh information that we're keeping people in pods. Ah. Ah, oh, I've just realised that Clara could have been listening to a podcast in her pod. No. <laughs> <laughs> just turned on the radio and there's nothing but podcasts up and down the dial. And she'd be like, hmm, this is weird. <laughs> Can we get back to the the cold open and how it doesn't match up with last week? Go for it. Yeah, yeah. Because one thing that I noted was that Bonnie seems to be letting go a heat-seeking missile. The second missile, which she fires, that hits the plane, flies into the sky. It doesn't take a perfectly straight path to the aeroplane. There is a kink in its trajectory. It can clearly track the aeroplane. So the first is heading straight for the aeroplane. Osgood sees it from inside, looks out the window and goes, bloody hell, that was close. And it hasn't made a direct impact is bullshit. That's incredibly true. You're right. I'm subtracting a couple of decimal points from my score. It is, it is bullshit. But I like this episode, so it's fine. Yeah, and it's a lovely <laughs> cliffhanger. And you know that it's going to be a fake and a cheat. But I, I just wish it had been a slightly better fake and a cheat. They didn't have to do much. They just needed to sacrifice one element of peril and it would have added up a little bit more. They got greedy. They delved too deep. <laughs> okay, question about another element of peril sacrificed in part two. Well, not sacrificed in part two necessarily, but sacrificed over this two-parter. Did anyone actually think that Kegels had been taken? No. Yes. Ah! <laughs> what, what imbecile? What grade A <laughs> oh, moron? So would naive, Drew. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I like with most of these I'm not quite sure though if I subconsciously remembered watching this the first time round but yeah when she turned up again I felt pretty certain that was the real Kegels as Marie said last week one Kegels has already disappeared the Zygon Kegels who's to say another one might not fall by the wayside wait Zygon Kegels from the day of the doctor oh oh yeah yeah oh that really dilutes it a little bit doesn't it oh. maybe she was one of the previous 15 attempts at insurrection oh sorry i'm just dropping this by another two decimal points oh no that that was that was um points taken off last episode we don't need to carry that forward to this one uh, it, it doesn't matter it's already affected me emotionally i've taken off those two points don't worry about it it's still <laughs> a ridiculously high score spoilers and in the same vein though this is more meat for why i didn't like last week's so much as this one because i have a real beef as some may know with shitty cliffhangers <laughs> and i put that on the last episode <laughs> not on the resolutions here because they wrote them in a way that they have to be hand waved like they're not going to kill off the doctor they're not going to kill off kegels yeah but I... you, want, you want some ingenuity to intercede at the last millisecond rather than you know what we were just lying Okay, entirely different question. Great. True. You were incredibly erotically charged in the last review. <laughs> and how? <laughs> what? By Evil Clara. Yeah, and her impish grin. Did your fascination with Evil Clara or Bonnie continue in this one? They didn't quite isolate in the same way, thank goodness, because I've never taken Viagra, but I mean, that would have been a similar effect. I mean, I had to be able to appreciate some of the acting that was going on as well. So, yeah, they, they didn't linger on it or dwell on it. I felt like Jenna Coleman did a pretty good job of differentiating the two. Pretty I agree. Good. Pretty good. She was freaking awesome. Yeah, absolutely. She's shining in this entire episode, more so than she was in the last episode, I think. And she was already great in the last episode. I it's, see what you're we, saying. Because we had uh, a classic. Well, if you remember the last classic, I forgot. We had a classic where the companion basically got to be a villain. Actually, no, she got to be a zombie. She was crap. Okay. So that <laughs> oh, was a different situation. But this, but 
this is a situation where, you know, this isn't Clara in probably 90% of this episode that Jenna Coleman is playing. She's playing Bonnie. But I didn't mind because the split seconds we got of Clara was still awesome. And it was a proper character that felt worthwhile to the story. I didn't feel like we had been robbed of Clara. We had just benefited from Bonnie. Yeah, I'm with you on this. I think it's a more nuanced performance than it was in the first one. But that's that's yeah. maybe the cliffhanger effect as well. They want to make it as in your face and bombastic as possible. Oh no, Clara's a bad person. You know, oh no, she's the antagonist. But here, she gets the whole, you know, 40 plus minutes just to flesh out that character a little bit, make it more realistic. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Jenna Coleman as Bonnie is excellent. All I'm saying is that Bonnie didn't really face off against a multifaceted Clara. She had that interrogation scene with her where Clara is mentally scrambling and trying to be clever. She's doing lots of Moffat-written Clara clevers. <laughs> Do you mean the scene where Bonnie is Mr. Fockering Clara? She's like, oh yeah, no, I've, I've got a lie detector built into my wrist. <laughs> yeah, that one, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't get the Mr. Fokker reference, but Meet the Fockers. Uh, what's his face? Robert De Niro does a similar thing with um, Ben Stiller. Anyway, I'll cut oh, that. Okay. <laughs> No, I'm sure two or three people will have seen it. Who knows? Maybe Bobby listens to the podcast himself. Oh, yes, of course. Bobby De Niro. Yeah. If so, Bobby, (laughs) stop slumming it with these Warburton's bagel adverts. Come on, you're better than that. (laughs) Bobby, bubbler. Come on, come on. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. It's impressive. It's always impressive that an actress or an actor pulls off two completely different roles. And there was one point where Bonnie is facing down the Doctor's imperious soliloquy. And I can see that she is reacting. She is tearing up even in a different way to I've seen Clara tear up previously. She has a wholly different set of reactions and characteristics going the whole package. That's all great. I'm just saying that we didn't get to see 100% of both. Clara is quite diminished in this episode in comparison. While Bonnie has the floor at the end, Clara is just standing mutely to the side. That's true, yeah. As indeed are the other Zygons. And Kegels, mostly. And Kegels, yeah, you're right. That must be really satisfying for an actor or actress. All of a sudden, yeah, well, I mean, you're not... It's maybe somewhat typecast, but you're offered the opportunity to perform with somewhat greater range than your character on this show, which certainly from the onset is meant to have the greatest possible longevity, is normally allowed. It must be fun. It's like uh, having a holodeck episode in Star Trek. Uh Yeah, yeah. How do you think Clara's twin rolling compares with Maisie Williams' twin rolling from a couple of weeks ago? This is far more satisfying. Oh, you think? Yeah, but I never really warmed to Maisie Williams' character. So maybe from that standpoint, I'm already biased. What do you think, Jim? I think what I enjoyed about Bonnie was that I, I was expecting... I mean, we get Capaldi basically just having the stage for two minutes straight and we're just seeing other people react to his speech about war and people being bad and stuff and i was almost going to write a negative point that you know bonnie is coming here as you know basically a terrorist and this speech should not impact her in the slightest Drew's right. You do see her. She seems to be reacting to it and she's being thoughtful about whether she should change her actions. But ultimately she doesn't, which I really liked. I like that we get to see this. There is a bit of turmoil because obviously she's jeopardizing her race through wanting to, you know, she wants to get more by extreme means, basically. Yeah, I think there's a lot of nuance in that. Maybe 20 seconds of 
Connie kind of like letting Doc finish his speech and then deciding, you know what, I want to press this anyway. And then realizing actually there's nothing here that I can press is there. I think that was really good. Do you guys feel that the forgiveness lent by the Doctor to Bonnie's character or to Bonnie is... I mean, it's certainly believable coming from the Doctor, but do you feel that maybe it's somewhat unrealistic coming from literally anyone else? Not only has Bonnie changed her mind, she's now working for the opposition. At the end, she is one of the good guys. She's perfectly embraced by Unit, or certainly by Osgood as a representative of Unit. Is that going a little bit too far? It probably is. Do you think that they were trying to lay the groundwork with Clara influencing Bonnie to say that now Osgood is influencing Bonnie? Like, Zygons are always a little bit of the human they impersonate, sort of thing. Oh, I like that. That's an idea. I, I thought, as you were saying that, that perhaps... Bonnie being prone to these extremes of of character and impulse was just a bit more pliable in a way. Like she falls under the spell of whatever strong influence is in her orbit. And so, yeah, she would ping pong from one to the other because she's mentally a bit more vulnerable than your average Zygon. There's also that line of the doctors where he, he looks at Bonnie and goes, don't forget, I know that face. So he can read Bonnie's emotions as they are output according to the, the sort of the emotional spectrum of Clara. Maybe that's an argument in in favor of your theory, Jim. Yeah, I mean, I'm not entirely buying it. My, I have massive questions over the fact that they leave Bonnie there as second Osgood. Yeah, they um, absolutely should not. They and... should give her false hope, then lead her out back and shoot her in the back of the head. Like, that is absolutely <laughs> what should well, happen. Maybe not quite that. <laughs> <laughs> Kegels is out of bullets at this point. She's shot every Zygon she's seen for the last fortnight. Okay, then maybe, you know, do the second tier Inception and lock Bonnie in one of those pods. Have her live the rest of eternity inside the old boy room. <laughs> yeah, but like at the end of uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, just lobotomized. And said, I love seahorses. <laughs> this is my favorite newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> just have a <laughs> sitting there in the living room flipping the pages of the coffee table book. <laughs> <laughs> I just like to say that I I'm not actually in favour of lobotomizing the deprogrammed. Yeah, nor nor is that laughter signifying that Leon and myself are either. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> <laughs> But I feel like this is the reason I am not going to get anywhere near a five for this episode is because they spend 99% of it trying to resolve something which they then don't resolve because they like there's a reason this Zygon splinter group came into being and that hasn't changed. They just reset things so it will probably inevitably happen in five years time, two years time. Who, who knows what? Yeah, for, for a 16th time. Well, that was going to be my question. So there is that line. If there have been this is the 15th time that he erases at least Kegel's memory is this just on some sort of weird matrix loop where constantly a revolution is taking place yeah and all the other Zygons who aren't in the room have to go through this frigging rigmarole every two or three months one of them hanging around some grotty estate gets zapped eventually commits suicide all the other Zygons are just like phew if I keep my head down long enough you know, it won't be me. Eventually, the splinter group will burn itself out. This is why yeah, the teenagers at the estate just ignore that man, because they are clearly Zygons. They're just like, yeah, don't look at me, man. Don't look at me, bro. <laughs> like, I don't yeah. want any. 
for this. You're not even the first guy <laughs> this week I've seen this happen to. You think I'm going to react? But what about the rest of humanity? And what about the rest of units? What about everyone else? Everyone who isn't in that room being mind-wiped? Well, quite. Wait, did I miss something big here? Because I really thought that it was just that room. They had done 15 other attempts to get a resolution between Kegels and Bonnie. No? Oh. You, th- you think they wiped the entire situation? Oh, oh, as in as in one of them mashes the button. The doc goes, no, that didn't work. I'm going to to zhuzh up my soliloquy a little more. <laughs> Let's go with version yeah, 11. Literally. Bang. That's, That's a good idea. Freaking good. <laughs> that, that makes a lot more sense because that way truth and consequences hasn't been resettled over a dozen times and had like thousands of people massacred over and over again. <laughs> Yeah, they'd be running out of people. I mean, There's the scene in between the two episodes of just a real estate agent leading new tenants through truth and consequences. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, and uh, here's this, oh yeah, oh, they're swearing in the new sheriff. And <laughs> yeah, the economy of the planet would change. There would be yeah, way more real estate agents. There'd be way more sweet. <laughs> cleaners because there's just tumbleweeds everywhere <laughs> no, the tumbleweeds would be sky high you'll love it around here the tumbleweeds they never flop more than once an hour <laughs> a real relaxed pace of life right I'm dropping this one more decimal points actually you know what two <laughs> decimal points <laughs> <laughs> How do we feel so, about Doc's game show host voice, by the way? Oh, oh. lordy, that's what I was doing, wasn't it? Oh. What do we think, Leon? Uh, I'm not a fan of that. I don't understand why Capaldi goes American game show at all. Like, I, what does that add to the station except Capaldi maybe going, listen, I'm I'm hoping to be a Marvel character one day. Maybe you could uh, write in an excuse for me to do an American accent. And <laughs> it feels very malplacé in that scene. What it feels like for me is Kegels has just announced her intentions to be a bit gung-ho about things. Like, yeah, I've got my finger on the button. And that perhaps is lazily associated with a warmonger in the White House and any number of filmic scenes we've seen and realities we've dreaded. And I think in a way... I feel like Britain is being exonerated in this episode in a couple of ways, a couple of different ways, and this is one of them. Like, yeah, we, I mean, we're just in America's shadow. We're part of the coalitions, but we're not actually the second biggest arms exporter in the world or anything like that. We're not not responsible for warmongering over the centuries. (laughs) We're way past that. Kegels, what do you like, you relic? Empire what? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I I think bizarrely I didn't mind it in the middle portion where he was reacting more directly to like the aggression being amped up a bit and they were both kind of hovering over the buttons. I felt like that almost kind of worked, but he led with it, which that really got my back up. And it also wasn't a brilliant accent. Can we agree? No, uh, yeah, <laughs> sorry. I don't know if, if he's going to affect... spot on Alex Trebek, rest in peace. Rest then, in peace. <laughs> then absolutely I'd have been behind it. Although that's not Alex Trebek's style. He's much classier and more restrained. Certainly. Sidebar, is Capaldi affecting an American accent in whatever it's called, Suicide Squad? Okay. This is news to me. I don't know. But it, I mean, that was the Marvel movie I was referring to before. I mean, he's in it. Didn't know that. DC, no for idea. sure. Oh, is it DC? Pretty sure. Oh, okay. You know what? No, you're right. Yeah. It's totally DC. Yeah. Oh. The friggin' Joker in it. Dagnabbit. Save your emails. Save your email. He knows. I know now. <laughs> We're going to say far worse in a minute. Just, just make notes as you go along. Since we're talking about the whole UK-US thing, 
Is there an element of rule Britannia? I mean, there's a, there's the Union Jack parachute scene. There's an element of James Bondiness about Capaldi in this one that maybe we don't see in other ones. Yeah, and I described Cagles as Jane Bond just last week. Yeah, bingo. Is that a bit on, on the nose? Why is he? I mean, I, I do like the Union Jack camouflage line. I think that's it, it, that's a nice little clever interpolation. But is that maybe a little bit too on the nose? Isn't that Roger I, Moore, by the way? Doesn't he have a a Union Jack parachute. Yeah, I, I think Roger Moore in, I believe, The Spy Who Loved Me did it better because nobody does it better than Roger Moore. <laughs> <laughs> Bravo. <laughs> also, I'm not sure I agree with you. Wait, is, is Roger <laughs> Many Moore... <laughs> people do it better than Roger Moore. But, well, oh, come on. For the lyric, yes, you absolutely get it. <laughs> I want to say Captain Jack had a Union Jack on something. Did he? Mm. Jack on a Jack Jack. Oh, maybe. Although he's American. Yeah, but he was in the Blitz. When that's we first true. meet him. Yeah, that's true. Does he have a union yeah. Oh, cool. He has been British flag waving adjacent. It's <laughs> <laughs> okay. our finest hour yet again. Very tenuous segue, but <laughs> from military figures and Brits in uniform, yada, 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 there's a line which featured in the intro, which before pressing record, maybe was not met with as much positive oomph as I would have expected. The five, rounds, five rapid. rounds rapid. rapid. Yes. <laughs> What's your beef with five rounds rapid? I was fairly tumescent when that line was uttered. That was an awesome line. So I'm guessing, because it was Jim who wrote that line, that because Jim only came on board after the Brigadier had said it a million times to John once, Pertwee. Once. Once. Not to Pertwee. He said it to, I think, Benton. Oh. Maybe it wasn't Benton. It was a, a, another unit soldier. He said it once. He said three rounds rapid. And it was totally oh. badass. It was in the serial The Daemons. There's a freaking gargoyle monster hopping around. He's like, <laughs> like total crazy monster. And like the total ice cold badass that he is. And perfect gent. He just went, I, I'm going to say Benton. It might not have been Benton. He's like, Benton, chap with the wings, three rounds rapid. It's pretty <laughs> badass. I think, though, that's what pisses me off so much. Like, I didn't know there was a reference, like, that there was, this was a callback. I took it in purely at face value. This is Kegel's saying five rounds rapid about killing someone. Like, she's proud of it. She's, like, all gung-ho and amazed by it. I'm not quite sure about her character. I don't think I like her character. If she was straight up military person who's quite gung ho and all that, fine, it fits. But she's not. She's walking this fine line of being in charge of kind of like an extraterrestrial investigatory service. Like unit has changed. It's not the military thing it was in the classics. And I don't know. I just find it really weird. And then she's put on a pedestal to be making decisions on behalf of Earth, which I don't think the Brigadier ever would be. And wait, wait, I don't wait, know, wait, wait. It doesn't fit with that. Hang on. You're saying it's no longer a military, like a branch of the military. In the last episode, they were wearing like SWAT gear and store. Uh, truth or consequences. I mean, they obviously have that, but they seem to also do a lot of science stuff. They're monitoring loads of things, and I don't know, it seems more than it was back in the classic, where it literally seemed like a wing of the army. It wasn't much sure. beyond that. I, okay, that, that is a fair uh, point. Yeah, I, I would like to 
point out that if Kegels had bumped off these two henchmen before they'd turned into Zygons, that would have been really shocking. This whole two-parter is saying, hey, you got to treat Zygons and humans equally. They're two equal races, because if you don't think that, then you're a crazy terrorist kind. And yet it is fine to just pop two radicals in the head when they're giant whatevers, whereas had they been in their human uniforms... I mean, that just that just doesn't happen on Doctor Who without, you know, rank condemnation. That's yeah, that's, such a point. That, that's super duper true. I maintain I still really enjoyed the fan service of this line, but maybe I would have enjoyed a more nonchalant delivery of it in a similar context to the, the one that her dad, the Brig, Bagels, found himself in at the time. Yeah, rather than close up on her face, I'm smiling because this is fan service and everyone like Leon is going to be poleaxed off their sofa. <laughs> by an enormous beanstalk <laughs> rising out of their underwear. Both gross and flattering, so I... <laughs> <laughs> Any other opinions on Kegels? Particularly in this, in this episode, I suppose. Meh. Yeah, she didn't have as much to do as last week. Yeah. Well, I agree, by the way. I'm not a huge fan of Kegels. In general, or just this time? Well, if she were anyone but Kegels, I might be a bigger fan of this character, or of her. But the fact that she stands in direct comparison to her dad in the Hooniverse... Yeah, partly because she never stops bringing him up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. And I absolutely adored the Brigadier. He had a certain way about him. He had different mannerisms more in tune with, you know, 1970s Doctor Who than her mannerisms, I feel, are... Like, his mannerisms were charming on screen in the 70s in a way that her mannerisms are not charming on screen in the... Whenever this is. Whenever this is? Five years ago. 2015. There you go. But if she were some other, you know, random unit general or whatever, then... Is that partly to do with what Jim was saying, that Bagels was always in uniform? He had a military bearing. He had a, a ramrod straight comportment whereas Kegels has just wandered off the set of Prime Suspect and grabbed herself a gun. A hundred percent. Yeah. There's a different contrast I, I between think, her and the Doctor. Oh, sorry, Jim. Yeah, I think you can you can look at a character wearing an uh, army uniform in a different way entirely, and you will never second-guess yourself for doing that, I think. Whereas arguably you should. But yeah, the fact that the Brigadier is always in his uniform, you always put him in that bucket. So when he does something that's not completely aggressive, that's the kind of, oh, okay, he's quite a, a nice guy moment. Whereas Kegel's the opposite. She's walking around in a suit all day. So when she does something aggressive, it's like, fucking hell, Kegel's. You heartless, <laughs> heartless yeah. so-and-so. You know? <laughs> and also to your point about Eunice having changed, Eunice in the time of Bagels was very often sort of a parody of military in general. They were often and I mean, they, were, they were sort of vacillating between incredibly competent and absolute imbeciles and just clowns in uniform. And here they are constantly CSI. Oh, not last week. Last week they were nothing not but clowns. Week. Yeah. Oh, I guess they that just is true. Funny clowns. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Yeah. So the parody element has disappeared from it. Yeah, they're tragic clowns. It's just sad. <laughs> What about Osgood, everybody? Or ah. the Osgoods? Jim, I'm looking uh, at you here. I liked how how quickly she'd kill the Doc if she was a villain. I appreciate this understanding of how shit villains are with their uh, protagonists. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> no, just, just shoot you as soon as I saw you. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't get uh, starstruck. I would remain sensible and you'd be dead. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have that many notes about her. 
she strangely put aside a lot of times as just a kind of wise box. It's like people question her and she gives cryptic answers. She's not giving a lot of um, like to and fro with people a lot of the time. Yeah, but she does early in this episode realise ahead of the Doctor, thanks to her privileged Zygon experience, that Clara is still alive in the pod and she leads him through that. She does. But then my note is, why is it Osgood that realises that and not the Doc? Like because the doc she's, she's basically fused with a Zygon. She is the world's primo human Zygon hybrid expert whatever. I'm so glad you said that, Drew, because I was about to drop another decimal point, but I'm holding steady. <laughs> I'd, I'm not quite buying it. I, I'm I'm willing not to deduct points for it, but yeah, it bugged me that she's she's basically telling Doc, ah, this person you know really well is obviously still alive because she's tough and she's worked out a way to stay alive. And it's like, you know, but Doctor doesn't give up on people like that, especially not his companions. So it's part of that maybe because the fan base has been clamoring for a proper Osgood appearance in this show. And there's obviously also the shock of, oh no, Osgood was killed before. Now for this double feature she's back give her everything make her a companion of the week for this episode in fact and then they just turn it up to 11 and all of a sudden she's more competent than the doctor in some circumstances i mean that sounds plausible but my note was going to be that i mean i don't remember clamoring for osgood especially i i liked that she came back and yet speaking right now after this double feature I think I've had my fill of Osgood. I think she's gone about <laughs> as far as she's likely to go, and I don't think she comes back. Uh, I don't know what the r- rationale for that was. Um, I guess she did get to have a week as the Doctor's companion, and maybe that's all this side character can expect. I mean, I'm not saying the actress did badly or anything, but... There isn't really mileage in the character. Yeah, that's it, mileage. I don't see where any further mileage would come from, apart from having to retcon and rewrite a whole mess of backstory in that I don't have patience for. (laughs) Yeah, there'll be three Osgoods next week. I mean, there's... They dispensed with, what was her name again? Jack? Was that her name? Yes. They dispensed with her in the last episode, and then this one, there's nary a tear shed for Jack. <laughs> oh yeah, Kegels comes back from America. So, uh, where's Jack Everything back hiding to normal out these days? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't see her around here. Is she, uh, is she, is she in the toilet? Is, is she talking to the receptionist? Where is she? Where are you at, Jack? <laughs> Wait, remind me again, who's Jack? <laughs> Case in point. <laughs> she appears that, in the, the uh... intro to this one, the recap, Jim, the one who says, wait, these aren't Zygons, these are the humans. Uh, oh, right, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I felt like she was going to have more, more of an impact in that episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no dice. <laughs> she was turned into a hairball and no one addressed it. Ooh, and yeah. yeah. Okay, so if Osgood doesn't return, if this is the last of Osgood that we see, is I mean, presumably it's not the last of Kegels we see. Who's going to be the, the second? Who's going to be the new Benton? Oh, don't hold me to the fact that um, Osgood doesn't come back. I just can't remember it. Does Bill ever encounter Unit? I don't remember. Mm. I think possibly not. Yeah, I'm not even sure if we can say Kegels comes back. I think this might be an end of an era. I'm not oh, sure. really? We will find out. Oh, I guess so. All right. Oh, fair I enough. I think um, one other minor observation on Osgood, I think as Drew was saying it, I was like nodding my head 
quite a lot. And But just sort of thinking, I'm not sure if they ever rounded her character off enough. All they've done is taken a one-dimensional character and just pushed it along the line to a different one-dimensional character. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. She's kind of Luke Skywalker in a way, that she ends up as this really, like, kind of sage Jedi person. And at the start, she was kind of like the, not bratty, but a bit of a kind of want-to-do-it-all, know-it-all. We didn't really see the the change it was just the zygon influence that suddenly she turns into this other character who's also not well-rounded it's just most of the time a kind of exposition piece which is a shame because I, I think she is an interesting character or could be if they decided to write her properly mm. and it doesn't I, necessarily... been... oh sorry oh, sorry i was just gonna say i've been looking it up on imdb this is the last appearance in doctor <gasps> who of kegels and osgood to date what and wow. while I'm here, Gemma Redgrave, who plays Kegels, has just appeared in two episodes of Silent Witness. So I was bang on. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't even need to like bother the costume department. It's like, all right, I've, I've got this. I'll bring it with me. Yeah. <laughs> Keep the camera rolling. I'm just going to walk to the set next door. Yeah. About Osgood, I don't think that it necessarily helps that they've turned her into a character of a person by just slapping endless fan service on her. Yeah. She is a walking, talking, living fangirl, basically. She's the emotionally toned down version of What's-His-Face, the mad scientist in, uh, uh, was it called Planet of the Dead? Your favourite, Drew. I've erased that from my memory, so you get, you're on your own here. <laughs> Is it, is it honestly, called Planet of the Dead? Honestly, don't remember a mad scientist. Where the fucking bus flies into the fucking air. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and on our side of the dimensional shift, or, you know, the, the vortex, whatever it is, there's a scientist guy. He's just a straight-up caricature mad scientist. He's got the gigantic glasses. He's got the lab coat. He's socially awkward. He knows everything about the Doctor. And, and he's a huge fan. He is a big fan of the Doctor, as Osgood is a, quote, big fan of the Doctor. But Osgood is the... Like, she's toned down in some areas and just hyped up in others. So she is socially competent, but she's wearing everything from the BBC gift shop on her person. (laughs) (laughs) It's just... I like her as a person, but I I kind of prefer to have the mad scientist Q in her stead. Mm, yeah, I see that. Ingrid Oliver, by the way, who plays Osgood, is about to appear in The Watch, if anyone's going to bother with that. What is that? I think that's the highly contested Terry Pratchett adaptation that oh. has... According to Terry Pratchett's daughter, zero DNA of Terry Pratchett in it. Oh, yeah, definitely not going to bother with that then. Yeah. Sorry, Ingrid. Wait, so they, Sorry, they've Terry. done a Terry Pratchett thing without even involving his daughter, who is a writer. Yes, they've, they've completely gone their own way and just made it just, well, I mean, you'll have to not watch it for yourself. <laughs> That's a shame. They basically set it in a city. It's it's a bunch of cops in a city, a weird city. It's a bit kooky. <laughs> I think that's as, as uh, pratchety as it gets. Okay. Uh, Could be wrong. Before we depart from Osgood, can I add a correction to something I said in our review of part one? I mentioned that there was a, a flyer or a, a newspaper clipping that spoke of the US employing an alien ambassador. Indeed. Does not feature in the sheriff's office, features in in the Osgood video. It's in the background of the two Osgoods. Uh-huh. So Unit knows about it, ipso facto, there's just an alien on staff, presumably. So while you're <laughs> mentioning Truth and Consequences, it, obliquely, hmm? Truth and Consequences are the names of these buttons in the Osgood boxes, which are supposedly super mega ultra hyper top secret. And yet this splinter group calls itself Truth and Consequences, goes to the town Truth and Consequences, oh, what's no. the connection? 
connection there. Oh no, alright, that's two decimal points. <laughs> Is it just a huge coincidence? It's not explained in any way at any point. Uh, uh. That that's hovering somewhere in the in the air between bullshit coinky dink and plot hole. <laughs> I'm not okay with that. Oh no, you're so right. Wait, I've got it. I've got it. Oh there's, please, rescue me, Jim. <laughs> there's psychic paper buttons. <gasps> Everyone's just just seeing truth and consequences. It really just says good thing, bad thing. But no, that'd be too easy. <laughs> It said option one, option two. That's all it says. <laughs> as big a fan as I am of psychic paper plots, uh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> those minus 0.2 stand. Uh, I'm going to have to drop my rating. I really am. Far too many negative things coming out. <laughs> okay, I'm going to mention a positive thing. Oh, here we go. Was anyone else super freaked out when poor bloke running through the fleet dep- deprivation estate gets to his... <laughs> Gets into his flat and he goes back to look through the peephole and there's just a, a quarter of a second of Bonnie right there. Did did that affect anyone else as viscerally as it affected me? Are we referring to being scared or something in your trouser department? I'm confused. No, 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 not. Oh boy, this is finally it. I'll open the door straight away. The, the feeling of having been followed home and you look outside and they they aren't somewhere down the street. They aren't walking past. They are right there. They they see you seeing them back again. They know everything. You're done instantly. It's over. You should never have looked. I just really reacted to that. And they didn't overplay it. They didn't linger. She didn't have her eye right up to the peephole and overdo it. I just thought it was really a really good moment. It was effective. I don't know if I was as taken by that scene, as in by that shot, as I was by the scene that followed. I mean, throughout, I was thoroughly engaged and empathetic with this poor dude whose life is being upended and and who is... I mean, why... Wait, hang on, I've got a question. Why does he kill himself? Would he have died? What did he... He didn't want to live where he couldn't hide. He didn't want to be exposed as a Zygon. Couldn't he just turn into a Zygon and then turn back into a human form? Apparently not. Yeah, he couldn't have um, reached out to the doctor and said, hey, this won't take a moment. I just need a new uh, body to body print off. My old one's been erased because otherwise, what superpower does Bonnie have? And uh, once I touch you, I'll be back to my old self again. Except I won't. <laughs> you get me? <laughs> I don't know. That was an hour. What does Bonnie have? Like, what does she use? Because this is the one of the threats in the the box boxes is that all the Zygons will be exposed. Yeah, but she seems to be wielding that. But she hasn't accessed the box yet. No, exactly. She seems to have some other way of going. Ah, you Zygon, be Zygon. <laughs> yeah, that's never explained. It's never explained whether she's sort of removed his ability to reshape or to shapeshift. I think that's the implication that I got. That's why, I mean, that's why the guy is so traumatized and ends up killing himself is that he feels like his his identity has been ripped away from him. He's he's made a home, he's made an identity as a human and that's gone. Maybe, maybe he's thinking something has happened that hasn't happened, but certainly the betrayal is that, yeah, he's not just going to be able to pretend to be Bert Smith again. Yeah, I think you're right, but I don't see why that's the case. Yeah, you'd think a Zygon, even one that's lived in a singular form for a while would wear it a bit more lightly than a human being who has grown up and never known anything different. I mean, that's not always going to be the case. I I found this whole scene immensely frustrating, the way he 
I get that he's fearful and paranoid, but he just will not listen at all to the words that Dr. and Osgood are saying. He, he, he doesn't take anything on board. I found it immensely frustrating, especially the week after the US election, when there are 70 million brainwashed idiots voting for the wrong guy. Some of whom are Facebook friends, some of whom sang at my wedding. I mean, goodness sake. Oh, no. Yeah. So it just immensely grieved me that this guy he won't listen and and what's with the the um his zapping effect that twice seems to hit the doctor or knock the doctor back but doesn't turn him into a hairball yeah a frazzled toupee <laughs> yeah i wasn't sure about that whether that was a time lord thing or if it was uh he's just doing a little warning crackle a shot across the bowels a shot across the eyebrows <laughs> Does he know I, who the Doctor is? Does he recognize the Doctor? I don't think we have anything to say he, he does. Because I, I think he... Isn't he convinced that they're the, the Splinter Group? They're yeah, yeah, your truth and, or consequences. Yeah. Oh, that's true. And um, when they enter the building, think, there are some hairballs on the, on the floor. So I'm assuming he made that happen. He killed some people by. I think he does say that, yeah, that he was he was being attacked. I don't know. I mean, I, I really did sympathize with him in that scene, but that was because I also took for granted that, oh, this is it for him. He can't turn into human form, or he is going to die somehow. It may be some sort of extension of the, um, you know, the gas that they were talking about in part one. I mean, he didn't look like he was in a good way. It may have been there were some health implications as well, but I, d- I don't know. I, I definitely took it quite a different way than, than you did, Drew which is quite interesting because I didn't really like step out of the scene enough to worry about it at the time. I, I was very much absorbed in him being traumatized and I thought I thought it was a very dark and, and well done scene actually. But as it ended, I couldn't help but think, actually, Doc and Osgood, why were you advancing on this poor guy the entire time in a threatening manner? Like he's backed in literally backed into a corner by them and he's you know, he's a victim and they don't give him any space. Like they, yes, they're talking to him, but they they keep kind of being threatening. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, what were they possibly hoping to achieve there? Convince him not to commit suicides, or convince him, don't worry, we'll wibble some wobble, and you will be able to take human form again, or we'll figure out some other alternative. Yeah, I, d- I don't. I mean, yes, words were the thing to be wielding, but, but you can talk from across the room. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Not follow him into an oddly unlocked, unsupervised grocery store inside a council estate. <laughs> Uh, By the way, we said this pre-recording, we didn't say this on the record... 100% 100% the flatline estate. Yeah, I think so. With with the underpass, with the um, paintings or the murals in it. And this is after last week we thought that the tunnels were the same tunnels as been used in flatline. It all adds up. Yeah. I didn't quite work out. Is this where Clara lives as well? Or is it a different estate? It, I think you're being estate racist. I, 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 think, well, I think this is a different estate. Not quite. Not quite. Because <laughs> literally I'm sure one scene backs into another where Bonnie has zapped Guy to change into Zion gone form and then she goes into the elevator to go down into the pod room oh uh, who maybe so unless uh, i mean they do have a 
network under the city, don't they? So potentially she goes down a different elevator and maybe all these estates have a hijacked elevator that takes you down into Zygon basement land. But yeah, I thought it was a bit weird. You're right. I think that is a bit weird. I agree with you. But I do also believe that they are different buildings. While we're on the subject of weird, Mm -hmm. what is it with the kids sitting stoned out of their minds outside and the two (laughs) policemen in the car on the beach? What's, What's with this weird inertia? Yeah, why do they not follow them? Why do the two cops not just immediately grab Doc? Yeah, and you see um, when Doc is on the phone, I think to Bonnie, you see the police car in the background reverse seeming to indicate an imminent threat and then nothing else happens. It's a fake out. Yeah. My interpretation of all of that was that obviously there's a mini uprising going on and there are levels within that of people who are willing to really get their hands dirty, I guess. So I think before we get to that estate or you know, as we first get to that estate, we are panning around and seeing like a, a guy sweeping up some more fuzzballed people and I took it that everyone else that was around there is not reacting to that either so they're zygons and they're probably either part of the splinter group or at least on the side of the splinter group and just observing things as they happen and not really wanting to get involved yeah or just unemployed layabouts waiting for their benefit payments get down that job centers you lot (laughs) (laughs) to pick up on last week Well, they're 100% Zygons, aren't they? Presumably, yeah. It doesn't seem like the best possible strategy to put every single Zygon undercover in one one place. But then weirdly put two Zygon girls in, or two Zygons posing as girls in a, you know, regular kindergarten group. Yeah, what a great life they have. <laughs> grown, <laughs> grown up Zygons just sat in a kindergarten lesson all day. <laughs> Oh, I don't know. I mean, adults have colouring in books, don't they? I mean, it would probably be True. quite a nice break. <laughs> I mean, what, what is Spot up to these days? Who knows? So I caught up with him. Leon, I hear you've got two questions. <laughs> Okay, question one. Was it not a little strange to see the doctor driving a car? In fact, wasn't it strange to see him driving something that isn't, you know, chitty chitty bang bang or possibly the greatest recreational vehicle ever ever invented? <laughs> I didn't tweak on that, yes. We never get to see him drive a car. I found it so entirely unremarkable that, like Jim, I didn't twig either. Fine. <laughs> what, what I did twig with was that he's talking about going to find Bonnie, I think, at this time. They've got a, a pinpoint in London. And he says, like, ah, she's in London. And then they're just driving happily. It's like, oh, yeah, we'll be there in no time. What? No. Three of them. Come on. You're going to be there in three hours. Doesn't matter where you are. It's going to take you three hours to get anywhere from anywhere in London. Well, I assume they, they've crash landed in Kent somewhere. They were flying yeah. over Belgium, um, Essex at best. I mean, this is if Kent isn't stacked end to end with lorries queuing up for the Brexit border, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> Quite right, Jim. What's your second question and possibly final question? <gasps> well, I, I think we've already answered this, actually. I, I had a question notes of, ah, um, oh, so it was the real Osgoods then, eh? Well, or, is, or are there now two Zygon Osgoods? Is that possible? I don't know. Yeah, so this is going back to what Mu's theory was, which I agree with, that 
it kind of proves that the Osgood that was around for most of his episode was the human Osgood. Yeah. Because they haven't created any other scenario where two copies can exist without the human, or even one copy existing without the human. Yeah. Oh. Are you glad that the human Osgood survived rather than the Zygon one? Meh. Meh. Excellent. Then you have learnt the lesson this episode was trying to convey. Well <laughs> done. You have grown as human beings. <laughs> Actually, a slight correction to what I said. I think they haven't shown that a copy can be made without the human. Because presumably 20 million Zygons don't just stop impersonating their human when the human dies. Because that would be awkward. Mm. Yeah. But they can retain... Yeah, yeah, exactly. True. there was something on your list. What was it, pray tell? Uh, there was a Maya helmet in the archive. Indeed. Not the only piece of fan service. Go on, then. There is the, I thought, rather nice line of Osgoods of um, what does TARDIS stand for? Oh, I've heard a couple of different versions. Because who has been canonically inconsistent? We've had time and relative dimension, singular, in space, or we've had time and relative dimensions, plural, in space. Oh, that's the extent of it. Oh, I thought it was going to be... Well, there's the I other quite... option... Oh, sorry, Jim. You go for it. Well, th- there's the... There have been other meanings to it as well but in pseudo jest in the two doctors it's called something else when he has a balloon it's called something else the balloon one is the one i was going to mention which is tethered aerial release developed in style (laughs) (laughs) wonderful Which is probably along the same level as the one given in this episode of totally and radically driving in space. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but I much prefer the balloon one. I, I cringed at the totally and radically driving. Yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of that either. Yeah. I wanted it to be better. My question, how convinced were you that Clara can tap out a phone message when she's not holding onto a phone at all? <laughs> I mean, is she getting some sort of weird metaphysical intimation of it in her hand? Or is she just texted that much? Well, it was a stretch. You can do that as well, can't you? Surely you there's some the muscle is... memory that allows Dude. your thumb to move around in a realistic manner. Dude, how many spelling mistakes do we make routinely to each other every day when also we're correct. using two hands and both our eyes? Yeah, autocorrect. <laughs> the doctor oh, should right. have received a message that was like, what the duck? There's... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. I can't think of anything else that gets autocorrected constantly. Uh, Zygons would have been zygotes. <laughs> yeah. To us, I, I can buy the uh, actually writing the message. I'm not buying launching the correct app. <laughs> Wait, do I have Doc on WhatsApp or is it a Sonic thing? <laughs> and now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. Well, the Zygon inversion, where we didn't get to see anyone turn inside out, but we did get to see someone sucker punched. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. (laughs) So, yeah, going into this podcast recording, I was super loved in this episode, especially compared to the, the first part. You guys have definitely talked me down somewhat, but I still think it is a, a very solid episode. The Clara Dream World sequence, I actually really enjoyed, apart from the slightly overly intense music, which I think could have been dialed back a bit. But I, I loved Jenna Coleman's portrayal of Clara in that, and I loved her portrayal of Bonnie through what was 
probably most of this this episode. I think they were particular highlights, and we get possibly one of the best speeches in Doctor Who portrayed by Capaldi. I haven't actually noted anything down about it because I was just sat there listening to it when I watched this episode and just wrote two thumbs up at the end of it. War's bad. Yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> It's not perfect by a long shot. We talked about the weird American game show host thrown into it in the middle, but I think the the sentiment is very sound and I think it's carried over pretty well. And I I know for a fact that it's one that fans talk about and cherish and I don't blame them. I don't know why I'm saying them. I'm a fan. I don't blame us. (laughs) There are some some very nice lines in it as well. I didn't write down anywhere near as many as I should do. I did particularly like Doc saying I'm 2,000 years old. I'm old enough to be your messiah. And I thought there was a nice interchange with Bonnie saying that she will not change her mind and Doc saying, well, then you'll die stupid. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's good. But there's, you know, there's plenty of other good bits to it. I think, like I said at the very start, why why I enjoyed this more than the, the first of the two-parter was that it brought things back into a, a more sensible playing field in a way. We didn't have to jet off to fake Middle Eastern country. We didn't have to have groups of stupid unit soldiers and a really annoying stupid unit soldier leader we just had a slightly annoying kegels and a slightly mare osgood and the rest of it was just doc and companion gold with a villain who's is the companion as well but you know in a very weird way i think that's possibly something new who needs to remember from time to time is that yes we've got bigger budget we've got bigger effects you don't always have to use that sometimes you can just write good dialogue so honestly, I was coming into this as like high fours and fully expecting to be taught down. And I have been taught down. So I've come down actually all the way to a 3.8. Wow. Excellent. Oh, <laughs> good stuff. <laughs> I have a feeling that we <laughs> underwent similar emotional journeys <laughs> during this review. Yeah, I, I I could echo much of that. And actually, just to your point, you're right. It's called the inversion, the Zygon inversion, and no one gets turned inside out. But we had the promise of a gas that turns people in, inside out, like the dog in Fly 2. Why would it turn them inside out? Is that meant to be taken literally? I'm glad we didn't get to see it. I thought this was a lot better than the first one. And now I can't really remember what I gave the first one, but it, 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 what I'm about to give this is not a lot more. And that is because you two have talked me down a lot. Uh, I'll get to that in a little bit. Let's put a pin in that. Basil has turned the Capaldi up to 11. I loved the Doctor. I thought he was fantastic. I loved all the James Bondy shenanigans. I liked him interacting with a new companion. There's a new, a different dynamic there. The very, very brief... It was a little too brief, but I I did enjoy the very brief moment when we got to see him just in anguish and anger at having lost a companion and then very, very shortly thereafter realizing that actually that's not the case at all. But very, very good. Capaldi, fantastic. It's nice to see Kegels again, though, as I've said, I'm not a fan, and obviously she hadn't boarded the bullet train to Deadsville in part one anyway. Oh no, did they kill the boss lady? You know, the doy, obviously not, because she's Kegels, Dagna, but she's not Judy Dench in Skyfall. Spoilers for Skyfall. She's the daughter of Bagels, and <laughs> just take a moment to recognize this. She is genetically predisposed to be an utter badass. Her dad had a bulletproof mustache. Uh, anyway. Jenna Coleman really gets to flex. 
both Claras are totes malotes, awesome, licious, bodacious, more nuanced performance from the Bonnie side of Jenna Coleman, and a, a very superior, intellectually superior performance by the Clara version of Jenna Coleman. Great, love both of them. The plot isn't running at 100%, but I did make a note before this review that, you know what, it damn near is. Like, it has all the requisite highs and lows, it's pretty good in the mids too, quite frankly. I enjoyed myself during this episode and that monologue sweet buttery moses what a performance exquisite gut-wrenching writing expertly delivered by an insane scotsman it's very hard for me to imagine any other doctor pulling that off with the same panache though obviously as we said the impromptu game show accent some negative for the rather naive vault fast of um what's her face Bonnie, at the end of this, uh, I don't think that she should have been <laughs> recruited by UNIT. I don't see why anyone besides the Doctor should forgive her. It just seems incredibly unrealistic. And also negative points for all the other things that we've discussed during this review. I started off, possibly similarly to you, Jim, I started off at a 4.5. And you guys have talked me down to a 3.7. Oh, wow. Oh, oh crumbs. Okay, that's precipitous. For the record, that's less than you gave the first one. What? Wait, no. Wait, <laughs> is it really? What did I give the first one? 3.9. Okay, I need to I need to amend this. Wait, I, I'm still doing my mini. Okay, but <laughs> having reviewed... what? Wait, I do think that this is better than the first one. I have to give this more than the first one. Okay, I'm going to give this a 3.94. <laughs> Rounded down to a 3.9. Yes, there we go. All right. Oh, oh, oh clever. Thank you, Jim. Saved it. Oh, phew, wow. Uh, I intended to do that all along. <laughs> As I said, this is a tough watch for me one week after the US election when people who've been radicalized over the last four years are popping up in my Facebook feed with election rigging conspiracy theory bullshit. It led to me really focusing on the Muslim radical terrorist parallels. And so it just made it a lot less enjoyable for me. Once again, these parallels are a weird gray area. They alternate between striking, unmissable, and yet being really vague. It's softened. One instance of this is a line Jim alluded to, Capaldi saying, I'm over 2,000 years old, I'm old enough to be your messiah. In this episode, I almost expected him to say prophet. Of course he's not going to do that, because <laughs> then the BBC receives all kinds of threats. On the other hand, that the ideology of this splinter group is a single line, we want to be accepted for who we are, is not insufficient. Compare the slogans everyone else settles for these days. Lock her up. Or even single words now and throughout history. Heathen, infidel, it's been enough to mobilize armies time and again. So this disturbing truth is reflected here. And it's a topic worth taking on. So kudos to the production team as far as you went with it. Another difficulty I see comes in the very real social relevance and immediacy being given this fairy tale ending we've described. Okay, some former cult member slash radicals do go the other way. They are successfully deprogrammed. They work with Prevent or Contest or the police to um, help them develop their anti-terrorism programs. That does happen. But the way, I mean, it doesn't happen via soliloquy is my problem. That is too simplistic. It's more chaotic than that. Rather than Bonnie just transfixed by Capaldi's rhetoric and his delivery and her two goons at the back being completely silent, no lines for them at all throughout this episode, it would be more chaotic than that. There is group think. There, there, is, there are 
elements of belonging here that need to be unpicked rather than a, a simple hinge of forgiveness being enough to completely change her mindset. And this serial is all about accepting or living with the other in our midst and how they integrate with us. And that's all very worthy. But yet again, when it comes to it, when you get to the real meat of this episode, the Zygon is wearing Clara's face. We had, I mean, that cuts both ways. It helps for the IS parallel. But once again, the aliens aren't being given an equal footing with the humans. I don't think we see enough zygonity from zygons the way we are sold seeing humanity in all the humans. Etwan, also known as Bert Smith, the guy who is unable to turn back into a zygon, his whateverity only comes through when he's in a human form. It seems like humanity, but he is a zygon. It's it's. It grates on me. Um, I'd have liked to also see a lot more interrogation of Kegels as the establishment representative. I've alluded to this twice already, but there is a third part to this. After my pusillanimous, mealy-mouthed statements last week of, huh, maybe our societies aren't 100% perfect, I'd like to revise it in the wake of the election to 70 million American voters just flirted with endorsing full-on fucking fascism. And of course, three consecutive conservative election wins in four years doesn't give me or any Brit a high horse from which to pontificate. Us humans, and by extension Westerners, need questioning how we let this state persist when the third world can blame the first and the first can blame the third, and how much of it is down to the persistent inequality that we just refuse to address, where we insist that these economies have to lift themselves up by their bootstraps, I guess, and in the process make the people who are already unfathomably rich on this planet even richer. I mean, who is going to sign up for that? I get why there is resistance to that so yeah i i mean you can't f- fit all that in um but there is a large macro structural element to this whole thing that this story entirely sidesteps but good points capaldi is amazing i i, I mean this is his hamlet isn't it it's a bravura performance he's given full room to fly he acts the wheels off the fucking thing what a privilege it must have been <laughs> to write for him and to see this happening and to think oh my goodness the whole fan base is going to flip i can't keep this secret who am i going to tell first it's amazing jenna coleman she delivers at least one of her finest performances and does perfectly well with the second so after all that do i like the episode not really do i wish it was better yes most sincerely i really appreciate it and i love what Capaldi was saying, and yet I don't think it quite works. 3.2. Wow, I was ready to start typing two-point-something for you there. (laughs) Well, no, Capaldi's... He elevates it. Yeah, alone, by himself. I mean, this is worth... I mean, surely this is one of the highlight reel moments from the many decades of Doctor Who. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) I'm assuming that if Capaldi is even still in the business in 2015, in the, you know, in the business of putting together a little showreel for himself that he sends (laughs) around agencies, (laughs) this monologue 100% qualifies for that. Yeah, and I buy it entirely for himself as the character of the Doctor. That part of it I can't fault. It's when it relates 
than when it is applied to the Bonnie character. That's it's, all. It's very interesting to see how your reading of this is very accurate, but it's all it's super duper contextual. You're very much influenced by current events in a way that I I think I mean even the BBC production team probably wasn't even influenced by current events in 2015 to a greater degree than certain symbolism. Super interesting. Yeah, I I would give this a different score were I to review it at another time, but. I can't time travel, so here we are. Yeah, fair enough. Very good. They obviously were influenced by something in 2015 because I did not pick up on the Zygella reference being Nigella-based because she's not in the media anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Nigella Lawson? Yeah, apparently that was it. It was a big pun on... The new series started just last night. Jim, what are you... Oh, you're in Germany, of course. Oh, oh right. Jim. Okay, I'm just ducked out of the, the, her radar. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of us are super duper clued up on Nigella. <laughs> fine, fine. I'll keep stunned. <laughs> right, let's have a listen to Podcast Land, shall we? Let's. Listener minis. Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Right, Rudy and Cheesecakes, we have arrived at the Listener Mini part of this podcast episode. And first out the gate, we have the awesome Alfie. Hello, Alfie. Hey there, Alfie. Awesome to have you back, Alfie. <laughs> Indeed. Alfie starts, I didn't review the first half of this two-parter because I couldn't remember it, but I remembered this half because of the amazing and awesome speech. Worthy of Alfie himself. <laughs> It was cool that this two-parter is a sequel to Day of the Doctor. So, does it go Name of the Doctor, Night of the Doctor, Day of the Doctor, Time of the Doctor, then Zygon two-parter? I guess so. And Alfie gives this episode a 3.5. Or should I say, this was a rating from the maybe Zygon, maybe not, Awesome Alfie. (laughs) Awesome regardless. Thank you very much, Alfie slash Zygon Alfie. Thank you both. Solid rating. Next up, we have... Who? Eddie Rock. (laughs) Hello, Eddie. Hey there, Eddie. Eddie starts. Eddie and the Zygon... Eddie and Zygon Eddie back for this exciting conclusion to a fantastic two-parter that outperformed its predecessor. Everyone steps their game up for this one. The performances by the Doctor, Kegels, and especially Clara really shine. At first, Eddie and Zygon Eddie weren't sure how to feel about Clara being able to subconsciously control Bonnie, but they realised they've never really seen things from the Zygon perspective before, or from someone who's been replaced. And getting to see the extent of the previously established psychic link was really fun. Clara has always been exceptional, so her strength really helps sell the storyline. The scene of her interrogating herself was brilliant! (laughs) Watching her one-up herself back and forth was masterful. The only scene I think that shined brighter was the final speech scene with Doc in the Black Archives. It was deep and passionate and spoke volumes about the history of humanity's flaws and psyche that are still relevant today. All performed rivetingly by Capaldi. The surprise with Kate was fantastic. How did she pull off the switch? Oh, she just shot the Zygon. Sure, that works. The double boxes. The boxes being empty, that this is the 16th time it's happened. Twist after twist pulled off amazingly. Overall, a wonderfully epic finale to an awesome story. And the Eddies give this 4.7 out of 5. Shocking Dr. Browser history entries. <laughs> and the Eddies will see us next time, where they won't be nearly as generous with their ratings. Spoilers, <laughs> Eddies. Till then, rock on! Thank you very much, Eddie and Zygon Eddie. 
huge heart. Hearts. Hearts. Jeez, apologies. Yeah. <laughs> They're linked beat to beat. <laughs> of course. Can Eddie and Zygon Eddie be found online? I believe they share an account. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. They can be found at the Eddie Rock. <laughs> Thank you very much. Bing bong, future Leon here with one more mini that got in just just under the wire. This one comes from Michael Ridgway. Ridgway. Hello, Michael. Michael has provided a list of likes and a list of boobs. Let's start with the likes. Uh, super foxy evil Clara and her tentatets with good Clara. Mm-hmm. The depressed Zygon bomb. Oh, sniff. Five rounds rapid. That anti-war speech and the forgiveness ending. Not since the seventh Doctor have we seen the Doc talk a villain into capitulating. And last like, the absence of rubbish tumbleweeds. And thus we arrive at the list of boobs. First boob. The nothing in the boxes felt like a cop-out twist too far. Second beef, it's one thing being forgiven by the Doctor and the very few surviving humans that knew about the Zygon insurrection, but is evil Clara and Cole really going to be forgiven by the moderate Zygons? Surely they'd be after revenge. Yeah, that's... Yeah, exactly. Yes, good point. And last beef, is that the last we see of Osgood? It would be a shame if so. In summary, says Michael, a mostly satisfying resolution, packing a powerful anti-war punch, and he provides a rating of... Oh, oh, wow, okay. He provides a rating of 4.7 out of 5 um, Osgood boxes that do nothing, apparently. Boo. Holy moly, your heart is enormous. That's a very high rating. Okay, um, thank you very much, Michael. People who are not Michael can follow Michael on Twitter. Head on over to twitter.com slash bad underscore movie underscore club. Thank you very much. All right, back to the show, bing bong. Thank you all who wrote into this one. <laughs> Thank you. So that concludes our review of the Zygon Inversion. What do we have coming up next? We've got a classic next. Jim, what's that? It'll be the State of Decay. Ooh, very exciting. After which, we're up for another new adventure called what, Drew? Sleep no more. <laughs> After which we're back in Audio Who territory with Lucy Miller and To The Death. Two audiobooks, one podcast episode, and a third punchline. And at some point we're going to have a bonus uh, bonus episode as well that might be... Strange Readings! Or, if we're not entirely ready, we might have some... <laughs> That's Jim for Bloopies. <laughs> <laughs> But in the meantime, you can say hello to us online. Uh, Jim, you can be found online somewhere, I believe. That's quite correct. I can be found on Tweety Tweety Toot Toots at Jimmy the Who. <laughs> the Tweety Toot Toots? TweetyTweet.com slash Jimmy the Who. Well, whatever happened to Eliza Doolittle's musical career? <laughs> <laughs> Drew, what about you? I've actually been tweeting lately. You can follow my Twitter storm at Drew Back When. Ooh, excellent branding. And you can follow me as well. You know what? I tweeted twice today, so I've broken my streak of silence. <laughs> you can find me at Ponken, P-O-N-K-E-N, at least for now. Check back later. <laughs> 
is that a Twitter handle taken? <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much for listening, Podcast Land. You've been a lovely audience. To our listeners in the US, congratulations. <laughs> uh, and, and to everyone everywhere in the world, please, you know, be careful, be reasonable, be sensible, be rad and excellent to one another. Rock on and cha-chao. Yeah. I likewise implore you, wear a mask. Bye-bye. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome! High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it, we're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters and more which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when? A note that never got in. Oh, what was it? It's when the doctor says, This is a scale model of war! And no one says, What, like risk? No, not like risk! <laughs> Warhammer 40k? No! <laughs> It's settled. You are playing Capaldi in the next audiobook. (laughs) (laughs) For lack of a better option.